0: Welcome to Don't Throw Out the Dog, a podcast to dive into the behaviors of your dog to help you understand what they mean, how they're feeling, and what they're trying to say. It's education and knowledge for a closer connection, bringing your best friend even closer. Now your host, Armando Morales. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thank you for joining me. This is uh, all new to me, so I really don't know exactly what to expect. I don't know how many people are going to be downloading this and listening to. I don't know what's an appropriate number or one that should put me into shame. I don't know exactly what's what at this stage. I'm entirely new to podcasting. But let's see how it progresses. This is only the second episode, which is really, you know, the first one was more of an introductory, uh, introductory episode. And um, as you can see, I don't I don't really edit this thing much. I do very minimally. But for the most part, I just put it out the way that I speak, no matter how many screw-ups I make along the way. That may help or may hurt. I don't know. So let's see exactly how this goes. But the first one was really more of an introduction. I just want to kind of give you a little basis in terms of what to expect, what I was going to talk about, the direction that I was going to go into. I don't really even know that I got into all of that. But this is the first one where I'm really going to start giving you information. I want to start delving into some issues. Okay. So today... What we're going to talk about is problem behaviors, problem behaviors in dogs. Whatever you know, we deem a problem behavior, and by that, I don't, I don't necessarily mean that you're going to have a full-blown aggression case, and that's your problem behavior. It could be anything. It could be your dog chewing on furniture. It could be barking when he is outside in form of reactivity towards other dogs or humans. It could be excessive digging in the backyard. So it doesn't have to be any big grand, you know, life changing, life altering problem. It could just mean something that's more of a nuisance behavior that your dog has picked up and you're you're frustrated by it, by you're challenged by it. You're looking for a way to minimize it or stop it entirely. So let me give you a, a very quick rundown of exactly what it is that you're dealing with. First of all, you gotta understand that. For the most part, regardless of what problem behavior you're dealing with, generally speaking, issues with dogs get worse over time. They don't get better, okay? Uh, And that is because, you know, the behavior is usually rehearsed over a period of time, which strengthens the behavior, which makes it part of the dog's kind of repertoire, in other words, it makes it part of his or her personality. It makes it their default behavior at certain times, in certain circumstances. And when that happens, it becomes very difficult to kind of stop it. Because so dogs don't self-correct. A human can go through some hard times. They can be addicted to whatever, alcohol, drugs, sex. And they can go on in this pattern for for a long period. And at some point, they hit what you call rock bottom. At some point, they hit a wall, and then they realize, you know what, this isn't working for me. They could have lost their job, they could have lost their savings, they could have lost, you know, ex- extremely important, valuable relationships. To them, they could have screwed everything up, and then they hit that one point where the pressure, but the pain point, is just too much. They can't bear it, and they have that ability to say, "This isn't working for me. I need to change my life. I need to kind of..." head in a different direction and some do some are extremely successful some alcoholics uh, some people can be alcoholics or, or drug users for some time and then turn their lives around dogs don't do that <laughs> because dogs well I'll tell you why let's before we start going into problem behaviors let's start talking about how they learn okay and this is the segue into it And the reason for that is, uh, the reason why dogs don't self-correct is because they don't have that ability for, well, they don't have a few things. Number one, they don't have that fancy convoluted way of thinking that we do. So our thinking is more evolved, more complex. Theirs is fairly simple. Dogs learn through association. So we have the ability for introspection. We have the ability to analyze ourselves, to look inside ourselves and see how we're affecting the world around us, how we affect the environment, and how the environment affects us. And by environment, I don't just mean living space, but humans, the people that we deal with, the good and the bad, the helpful and the toxic, how it influences and affects us, and how that translates into behaviors and ways and modes of thinking that could help or hurt us. We have that ability to also project into the future and reflect upon the past. Dogs don't have any of that. You know, the science is still not entirely clear, but it's bearing out that dogs don't have the ability to reflect uh, uh, too much into the future, if at all. And if they do, it's only either minutes or seconds at that. And they don't have the ability to reflect upon, uh, to project, or rather, yes, to reflect upon the past. And they're certainly not self-aware, not to the level that we are. They don't have that ability to, to, to look at what they're doing and, you know, whatever that behavior is, they could be the grossest thing, your dog could be eating poop, his poop, and you may be looking at him, and while you're looking at him, as you walk closer, he's not thinking, you know what, man, this isn't going to work, this this is not going to reflect well upon me. You know, my mom, dad, the family, they're not going to look well at me. They're not going to think well of me. They're going to be grossed out by my behavior. This is just not cool. I got to stop this. No, they're not. Instead, while you're walking towards them, that dog is probably going to munch that thing down even harder so he can get it down the hatch so that you don't take it away from him. So dogs don't have that kind of moral code that we do. Dogs don't think along those lines. There's no rationale or logic to their behaviors in in their way. There, There is plenty as far as they're concerned, but in our way of thinking, there is none. They do what works. So when I say they learn through association, I mean that they pick up on patterns. They pick up, they make connections between one thing and another. And again, that one thing, that pattern doesn't need to have some kind of sense to it. It doesn't need to make sense to you as long as it makes sense to a dog. And the dog is going to react according to his emotions and his perception. And that's the key. Perception. It's what the dog perceives. It's not necessarily what you perceive. So a dog can be, for example, if you have a fearful or anxious dog, a dog can be fearful and feel threatened with a two-year-old child, a toddler. And in the same sense, a dog can feel threatened by a plastic bag flying across the lawn on a windy day. I've seen it. I've seen dogs freak out at plastic bags. And we laugh about it because it, it, and from our perspective, it's funny. But I'm going to tell you that from the dog's perspective, whatever his or her reaction is to that plastic bag, it's real. It's not fake. It's not a put-on. It's not a temporary thing. That dog's not trying to put on an axe so that you can see how tough he is at the plastic bag. That dog is feeling genuine fear or discomfort or insecurity towards that bag. And it could be because he can't make sense of what it is. As far as he's concerned, at a distance, that looks like a flying or fast-moving creature or critter, one that he's never seen before. But his reaction is real, is my point. And that reaction is based on an immediate association that that dog has made with that bag. And it's the same thing with the toddler. Surely, you look at the toddler and you say, how the heck can you feel threatened by that child? How can you growl at that child? Clearly, the child is no threat to anyone. But I'm going to tell you from the dog's perspective, yes, that child can be a threat. And your dog can see that child as a threat and for you to dismiss it is not only ignorant because it tells you that you're not really understanding your dog at the level that you should but it's dangerous because it's in a manner of speaking it's dismissive of what your dog is actually feeling and when you're dismissive of what your dog is feeling based on what he or she is actually telling you you're setting yourself up for problems because there is a very good likelihood that you're not going to you're going to ignore the problem you're going to ignore the behavior You're going to turn a blind eye to it. You're not going to address it. Or you're going to continue to put the dog into situations and environments where he or she is continuously going to be tested, in other words, or triggered. And that repetition of the behavior, for example, growling at a a toddler, that behavior is going to continue to increase. It's going to be repeated. Because the stress that the dog feels in the presence of that child will continue to grow. Again, because you as the adult, as the human, you're not addressing it. You're ignoring it. You're seeing it from your perspective, from your viewpoint. You don't have anything to be threatened about a two-year-old child. So why are you barking? Why are you growling at the child? And that's really not the way to handle it. And really, in a nutshell, that's that's really my purpose of this podcast. It's not so much about training. It's about you understanding your dog's behaviors, where they come from, why your dog is behaving the way that he or she does, and where it's going to lead to. And I'm going to tell you, whether you buy this into this or not, if you really start to understand your dog at that level, and again, I think I alluded to this in the, in the, fir- the very first episode, the introductory episode, is that you want to start learning your dog's body language. If you really start seeing your dog at this level, you're going to understand him at a different rate. You're going to have to understand him at a different level. And you're going to be putting yourself in a position where you're now proactive as opposed to reactive. Because your dog's already in a reactive state based on that negative association that he's made. And we're talking about problem behaviors here. So because your dog can clearly make positive associations. But we're talking about problem behaviors. So we're putting this into the context of troubling issues that the dog is going to have created based on those negative associations. So this, in a nutshell, again, is how dogs learn. They start forming associations. They start forming patterns. And again, it doesn't need to make sense to you. It makes sense to the dog. So one thing equals another. So this equals that. This behavior gets me that result. And that forms an association. And we like to say that you know dogs learn through association and consequence. And they do. They absolutely do. I- and not much different than we do, actually, in, that's, in that respect. But the consequence alone is not enough. The consequence is what lends to the behavior. And that consequence could be, again, actually something that happens to the dog or a perception of what may happen to the dog. And very quickly, as two examples... A dog that counter-serves, that gets up on the counters, I've got a dog drinking water here on the side. I'm not sure if you're picking up on it on the podcast, but again, I'm not editing this. So going back to the example, a dog that counter-serves, that's a dog who finds food on the counter, whatever it is. It could be you know, a slice of ham, piece of cake, or a little morsel, a crumb. But the dog makes an association, and that association is... And that association is based on the consequence that he received. And in this case, it's a positive consequence. The consequence was a good reward. And therefore, that reward, that consequence feeds into the association. And that association is, there's good stuff up there. And if I continue to put my paws up there and keep looking, I'm bound to hit. I'm bound to be rewarded. So that's an association that the dog is making based on his interaction with the environment. But then you have the reactive dogs. And those are dogs who can be somewhat aggressive towards something in the environment. Typically, it's other dogs. But it can be other dogs. It could be humans. It could be inanimate objects. So, you know, that can certainly happen. And um, in the case of the reactive dog, a reactive dog, a dog that reacts in some kind of aggressive-like manner towards another dog, and by that, I could be lunging and barking he doesn't necessarily need to have had a negative experience or encounter with another dog. So yes, we'll talk about this in another episode. I'm not going at it uh, into it at length right now. Uh, but socialization or a lack of socialization or poor, crappy socializations could certainly contribute to it. And in many cases, it does contribute to your dog feeling this way. But my point is that your dog doesn't necessarily need to have a negative encounter with another dog to be reactive. So his behavior is based on a perception of what that encounter is going to be. And that perception plays into his emotions. And that emotion, in other words, creates some kind of consequence to the dog, and the dog uh, begins to develop an association. An association to other dogs, such as they're not safe, or they're not friendly, or they're going to hurt. And then, therefore, his behavior is fed by that association. I hope that makes sense. So now you're wondering and thinking, okay, so how do behaviors get worse? And that one's simple enough. Behaviors get worse through the repetition of the action, of the behavior itself. Regardless of what it is, again, good or bad, the more practice the dog has at the behavior, the more solidified and part of his normal everyday behaviors that activity is going to become. And you see this play out in everything. And countersurfing is a perfect example of it as well, right? And I often get this question from people who ask me, my dog countersurfs. He's driving me crazy. How do I stop him? They don't understand that as long as you allow the dog to practice the behavior. So your dog is coming in and they're shooing him away. They say, oh, I yell at him. I push him. And he comes back. He goes away for a little while and he comes back again, and he tries it again, usually when I'm not looking, or when I have my back turned, or when I'm in a separate room. I come back, and there's something missing from the counter. So it's very simple. Again, the dog has learned to practice the behavior. The dog has made an association that there is food on the counter, and that association has delivered a a consequence. That consequence is that he does find something. Again, it doesn't matter that it's a big freaking piece of chicken or a a little sliver of uh, whatever, you know, a little piece of bacon or crumbs. He knows there's food up there. That association is already solidified. And the times that he's gotten up there and he has been rewarded and reinforced for the behavior makes that behavior stronger. That ensures that the dog is going to continue to practice the behavior. So you can shoo him away. You can yell at him. You can even push him. And what's he's, what the dog is going to learn is that his attempts aren't successful when you're around. But when you're not around, that's when he is more than likely to succeed. And that's what he's going to do. He isn't going to stop the behavior just because you're pushing him away. Now, unless you get into some aversives, and by aversives, I mean unless you're looking to inflict pain on the dog. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're kind of in the process of getting to know each other. But I will tell you that that's not what I advocate. I do not suggest or recommend ever that you do such, such a thing that you're going to inflict pain purposely and intentionally on your dog. That, that isn't cool. That isn't me. That's not humane. That's not what I'm going to suggest or recommend at any given time. But, you know, that's one way of stopping the behavior. And, and that's the reason why so many of these, you know, uh, people who do these kind of things work, uh, succeed is because it's successful. It works. You deliver such a harsh consequence to the dog and he makes a different association, getting up there just doesn't work for me because I get this, whatever that this is, pain. And you're going that that behavior is going to stop. It's going to resolve itself. But again, it's not what I suggest and recommend. So, but to go back to the example, in the many people who ask me, well, they say I push and I yell at him. Well, yeah, that's a consequence of sorts, but the consequence doesn't outweigh the the positive consequence, the reinforcement, the reward that the dog is getting from getting up on the counter. And again, he's only learning that his efforts don't succeed and they don't play out well when you're present. So I'm just not, you know, I'm not going to do it in in your presence. It's the same thing with housebreaking. I have people who have housebreaking issues. You know, I, I try to make all this effort to take him out and all that stuff. They think they do anyway. This is what they tell me. And still, he pees and poops in the house. Uh, it used to be that he peeped and peed and pooed uh, right there in front of me. Now he kind of does it behind the couch or he does it in a separate bedroom. He goes upstairs and he does it in one of the kids' rooms. And that's the same thing that's playing out. You know, whatever the housebreaking issue is, it's usually a matter of routine and really making it crystal clear to the dog exactly what you want him to do. But the point is that the dog is making... An association based on the consequence of his activity. So in this case, he's pooing in the house. More than likely, what I get out of questioning these people is that they're giving some kind of punishment to the dog. And that punishment can be from just simply yelling at the dog or getting, you know, startling the dog when he's in the middle of pooing. (laughs) Or they do something really aversive, such as take the dog's and, and hit him with a newspaper, or take his nose and take the puppy's nose and rub it into his face. That isn't, uh, take the um, let me rephrase that, take the puppy's nose and rub it into his poop, which is entirely stupid. Don't ever do that. But again, all that does to the dog is like, again, dogs don't think along moral lines. So the dog doesn't get it that you're not cool with him pooping indoors, that there's a problem with that, that it's not up to human code. He doesn't get it. He doesn't care. He's going to make a different association. And that association is that you and poop don't get along together for whatever reason. And now he's going to take his pooping activities somewhere else when you're not present. And what I often get from many people is that they start to humanize the dog. And again, they start to diagnose the problem based on their perspective. He's doing it out of spite. He's doing it out of malice. He's angry at me because I yell at him, so that's why he's doing it in another room. That's why he's pooping behind the couch. That's why he does it when I'm not looking. No, he's not. He's not doing any of that stuff. There is no malice. And there's no spite. There's no bad intention. He's not trying to do. He's not doing it to try to get back at you. He is doing it because he formed a different association. And really simply, I'm trying. It, you know, it's funny, but it's it's really true. The dog just figures that you and poop just don't get along together, so he's going to do it somewhere else. The consequence of pooping in your presence is not a good one. You yell at him or you hit him. So instead, he's going to take his poop somewhere else when you're not present. He's going to do it when you're not there. He's going to do it when you're not looking. He's going to do it in this place where he feels you're not around. You don't traffic much in. You don't go behind the couch too much. That's a good spot to poop. You're downstairs, I'm going to go upstairs and take a crap. Again, it's association, right? And then that behavior gets repeated again and again, and it gets stronger over time. It's the same thing. So there are other ways that dogs start to develop associations, and these problem behaviors get worse over time. Let me give you one or two quick analogies, because this is how I teach through stories, right? This is a common scenario that I deal with all the time. People who call me and say that my dog barks excessively, or he is being reactive in some way, right? And so those of you who don't know what reactive is, again, I will say it, reactivity in a dog is a dog who just does just that. He reacts towards something, some trigger, some stimuli in the environment. Typically, other dogs, but it could be humans, it could be inanimate objects, right? But the most common is other dogs. Dog-dog reactivity, in other words. So they call me for these reasons, and over, because I've done this, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, I know exactly, almost always, just a few preliminary minutes with the family and giving them some questions, I can start to, you know, surmise what's going on. I can put all the pieces together because a lot of this is detective work when you're working with clients and their dogs. So I go in and I do the consultation and here's the typical setup. Family gets a young dog, maybe a puppy, and maybe the dog was crate trained at some point, but it doesn't matter. The family, uh, and usually it's a couple, right, or a couple with small children, they go out they work during the day, and they work long hours. Maybe they're out for 10, 11 hours. And they don't want to keep the dog cooped up for 10 or 11 hours in the crate. And I agree with that, absolutely. You don't want to do that. So they figure the best thing to do is to give the dog you know, some freedom, some leeway. They want the dog to free roam throughout the house, and they allow the dog to do that. And they test it out for some time. They don't, they don't perceive a problem. The dog doesn't do anything in the house that they're bothered with. They love their dog. They have a nice, sweet, well-tempered, good disposition dog. Very social. And the dog loves people. He loves other dogs. And they have this beautiful house that's with windows that look out into the street or a road. And what do they do? They figure, because this is this is the human rationalizing, well, my dog is sweet. He loves people. I don't want him to be bored throughout the day. I want him to be entertained and engaged. He loves seeing other people. I want him to see what people, you know, I want him to see the people in the neighborhood. So they leave their windows wide open or they allow their dog access to these windows, right, where the dog can take in the world. And he sees everyone and everything coming by, cars, trucks, bicycles, joggers, women, uh, you know, parents with strollers, kids on the strollers, kids running around on their cycles, cycles and skateboards, the UPS guy, the male lady. He sees them all. And at first, the dog looks at the world and everyone who walks by his window with curiosity and desire to kind of engage and interact. There may not be much of anything at first. Maybe at some point, the dog starts barking. It's attention-seeking behavior. Hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm cute and adorable. Look, I'm barking. Can't you see me? The dog doesn't understand why people don't engage with him. The dog doesn't get why people aren't coming up to the window and, you know, petting him, coming into the house and taking him out on walks and giving him belly rubs and treats and engaging with him. The dog doesn't get it. All the dog sees is that he gets more and more people coming by the house, more and more people coming by the window. And every single time he does, he sees them and again, he tries to engage with them. So he continues with the barking and the barking and the barking, except this is what happens frustration begins to build in. Because again, the dog can't make sense of why he's not getting those interactions. He becomes increasingly frustrated. And you see this and you hear this play out in the way that the dog barks. Now, I don't know about those of you who live in cities. I used to live in New York City. That's where I was born and raised. But I live in a more suburban area now. And if you live in a suburban area, you know, towns and streets, houses, row houses, it is highly unlikely that you're going to walk down a street and then you're not going to get some full dog barking his full head off at you through a window or a gate or a fence of some kind. You see them and hear them all the time, right? In in some cases, so often that you just kind of tune them out. But you hear them all the time. You walk by and you hear this yappy dog or this big dog barking, 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 bark, 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 bark. And what's happening there is exactly the story that I'm, that I'm telling you. What's unfolding there is that the dog is practicing that behavior and frustration begins to build up. So the attention-seeking behavior is what may have started the dog barking. But over time, that bark, which was attention-seeking, now takes on a different tone, a different inflection, because it has a different meaning. Frustration has built in so much. Um, I've got dogs around me all the time, so just in case you hear them in the background. So what happens is that the dog may have just started barking out of attention, and that bark may have had a different tone to it. Maybe, you know, a happier, more fast-paced one. Look at me, look at me, look at me. But over time, when frustration really takes hold, it's now look at me, look at me, look at me. There's more intent, and there is... With, with some dogs, depending on how long they have been practicing that behavior, it's a menacing intent. It's not well-meaning. It's not the, uh, come on over, I'm nice and, fl- and fun and fluffy and you can pet me and give me treats. It's like, come on over, come on over, I am going to kick your ass, come on over. It takes on a different meaning because again, it started off with frustration or rather frustration kicked in. The behavior was continuously repeated and practiced and it solidified it. It made it stronger over time. And now what happens, one day, maybe weeks, maybe months down the road, the family takes the dog, who's now a little older, and take him out on a walk. And that nice, sweet, lovable, demure dog now starts barking and snapping at people randomly. Or he becomes a little more reactive towards trucks and cyclists, or kids, or other dogs, and they wonder what the heck happened to the dog. He was so nice and sweet. And it's my job to break down to them exactly why it's happening. And I have to tell them in so many words, it's because you've allowed the behavior to go on for all these months. You created the environment, the scenario, Your house was a gym of sorts where your dog went every day to the window and practiced that behavior and now he's got a lot of frustration and reactivity and shows or displays signs of aggression. So very simply put, that's how behavior starts in dogs. And I've got tons of examples like this, I just don't want to bog this down with all these different examples, but that is one common example that plays out so frequently I kid you not. Like on any given month, I'll get like maybe four or five different calls just on this same setup, especially when the warmer weather starts hitting up here in upstate New York. People tell me the dog was fine. Like I remember we took him out in the November and he was good. And now here we are because the dog hasn't had much activity, if any at all, during the cold weather months. Here we are in maybe uh, April. And we're taking him out and he's growling at everyone. Or he's snapping and he's barking. And I'm going to tell you again, you you enabled this. You created this. You allowed the behavior to go on. And as I said before, I said it maybe in the last ep- the first episode, was we do it because we don't know what we don't know. We don't know that the scenario and the environment that we're providing is one that's creating this problem. And even if we pick up on it, we don't pick up on it on its full to the full extent. We don't really see it play out. We see it just when it starts forming. So it doesn't ring a bell. It does there's no red flags over us that tell us, wow, this is something that's going to be really difficult to deal with down the road. This is something that's going to develop into something that's going to be e- even permanent within the dog. So think about that. Think about that. Think about what it is that you are doing right now that could be contributing to your dog's problems even if they're in the mildest forms, even if you don't see it too well. Because I'm going to tell you one thing that I often hear from many pa- many people when they call me about a problem, whatever the problem is, especially when it has to do with aggression, I u- I typically hear from people, it came out of nowhere. Or it came out of the blue. And I am going to tell you right now that there is no such thing as any issue, especially aggression, coming out of the blue. There is always a formation. And if you know what you're looking at, if you can read your dog's body language, if you can communicate with your dog at that level, you see it very, very early on when it's almost imperceptible to everyone else. But you see it. You're able to detect it. And if you're able to detect it, you're able to get ahead of it. You're you're able to get proactive in the choices that you make to prevent it from worsening over time. And that's, again... My whole purpose of this podcast is to put you right in that, into that position. So I hope that this kind of gave you some information. I hope that this kind of starts you thinking and looking at your dog and wondering, all right, so this little thing that I'm seeing right now, is this going to get worse? Or what am I doing that's contributing to the problem? How can I stop it? How can I get ahead of it? Because again, many people often start with, I usually don't get calls until after the problem has progressed and becomes something out of hand really challenging for the humans, for the family. And their go-to behavior or their their, their go-to response is, let's train the dog. And, and I'm certainly not saying that training is not an option. Sometimes when you're that far end off the cliff, you've got no choice but to work on training the dog. But I'm going to tell you, and I'm here to tell you, the whole purpose of the podcast is that training the dog should not be your first solution. You've got to start thinking, and we we do this in this country, we don't think about what the dog is dealing with. We don't really start to take into account and analyze the dog's behaviors, why the dog is doing what he is doing. And on those rare occasions when we really do, we misdiagnose it, misdiagnose it, and we do so because, we misinterpret it because we're looking at it from our perspective from our vantage point we're humanizing it and it doesn't help the dog because when you do that when you misdiagnose when you misinterpret the problem when you humanize it when you see it from your perspective even if you have the good intention of wanting to fix it there's a good chance that you're going to you're going to go about it the wrong way because again look in order to fix any problem you got to get to the root cause of it that's my belief in just about anything in life you want to get over a problem, you want to deal with a challenge, then you need to get to the root cause of that problem. You need to know how it started, why, where, when, how are you going to make it better? And you can't make a problem better if you if, if you get to the root cause of it, but you're not seeing that root problem, that root cause the right way, or you're in denial about what created it. You're just not going to address it. So I hope this is a little food for thought. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. I don't want these things to stretch out for long periods of times. But hey, I am on Instagram. Uh, Follow me at ArmandoMorales77. I'm going to spell that out for you because chances are you don't know many Armandos in your life. So that's A-R-M-A-N-D-O-M-O-R-A-L-E-S-77. Go visit me. Hit me up. Send me a DM. Tell me what you think. you have any dog issues, share your stories with me. I'll be happy to hear from you. Okay, so all the best, on to the next show. Take care. This has been Don't Throw Out the Dog. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to this podcast to be the first to hear new episodes jam-packed with actionable tips and tricks, small changes you can make that will make an everlasting difference in the life of your dog and your relationship with it. For more exclusive content, follow Armando on Instagram, at Armando Morales 77.